Hey guys, welcome to another episode of True Crimes and Weird Times. I'm Kim. I'm Ashley. And today I'm going to be telling you about the disappearance of Rachel Racklin, who disappeared along with all of her belongings after her first day at a new job. August 19, 1993, was Rachel Racklin's first day at her new job as a teacher at Schaefer Elementary School. Rachel was 29 years old and absolutely loved working with children. You can relate to that, Ashley. Yeah, I can. (laughs) She had just moved from her home in Chicago to Westmont, Illinois, to be closer to this new job. Well, naturally, yeah. And she had recently moved into a new apartment with a roommate she found in the local paper. And so she was ready to just start this new chapter in her life. I understand, but that's really strange. Well, it wasn't back then, I guess. We didn't have like Craigslist and Facebook to find roommates. Yeah, but I don't know. I couldn't couldn't just pick somebody out of the paper. Oh, yeah. I couldn't either. Yeah. It would have to be somebody I knew or something. Um, especially the fact that this one was a guy that she had picked. Oh, yeah. See, that's even. But we'll we'll talk about him a little more later. Mm. So after her first day at work at her new school, she was she had a great day. She went home to her apartment. She called a few friends, told them about her day. Aww. And then she went to bed. Mm-hmm. The next morning around 7 a.m., Rachel's mother, Rosalind, calls her like she does every day. She talks to her daughter every day on the phone. Uh-huh. And Rachel doesn't pick up. So she leaves her a message and says, hey, you know, it's mom. Just give me a call back whenever you get this. And she doesn't call her back. Oh, we're starting early. Yeah. Okay. So Rosalind at this point, though, is unaware that Rachel didn't show up for work that day. Her second day of work at a brand new job. And she just doesn't show up. Wow. Wow. So over the rest of the weekend, so it was a Friday morning that her mother was calling Uh and couldn't get in touch with her. So over the rest of the weekend, her mom continues to call and leave messages, just waiting anxiously for Rachel to get back in touch with her until finally she calls. And this time the line is disconnected. What? Like it's been turned off. Huh? Which at this point, when she calls and the phone line is just disconnected, That's when she grabs a family friend Mm -hmm. and they drive out to the apartment because her mom still lived in Chicago. Right. So it was it was a little bit of a drive. Not too bad. About half an hour or so. Oh, okay. But she that's when she's like, look, I'm going to go find her. I'm not going to wait anymore. I feel like if she talked to not that I'm blaming her. Right. But like if she talked to her every day, I don't know if I would have waited maybe even the entire day. Oh, no, I'm super paranoid. I would have been over there the same day. Yeah. Or calling her work. Did she show up for work today? Yeah. Okay. Police time. So they get to the apartment and of course, Rachel is not there. (sighs) So she talks to the roommate and now remember, she's just moved into to this apartment. Her and the roommate aren't very close yet. Yeah. So she talks to the roommate. She's like, look, I can't find Rachel. I don't know where she is. She's not answering the phone. Where, where is she? Where Mm -hmm. is she? Yeah. And the roommate says, I will, you know, her car's been gone all weekend. So I really don't know. We don't, you know, talk every day or anything. She goes to her daughter's room. Mm -hmm. She opens the door and it is completely 
empty. And I don't mean there's just no Rachel in there. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing. No furniture, no clothing. The room has been cleaned out. What? Just like she left. Like she packed up in the middle of the night with all of her stuff and left. Well, I think even if you don't talk to your roommate, you would notice if they packed up and left. Well, we'll get to why. He didn't notice her moving out in a minute. Okay. <laughs> but that is a good point. Yes. And one question I had immediately when researching this case. How does he not see her moving out? Yeah. Rosalind and this family friend whose name was Vincent. Once they see everything's gone from her apartment, they go straight to the police department. Oh, yeah. And they file a missing persons report. And they tell police over and over, like they insist she is not the kind of person who would just up and move out in the middle of the night without telling anybody. Like it takes a pretty specific type of person Uh, to be someone who would do that. Yeah. And her mom's like, no, that wasn't Rachel. Did you find anything that that said how the police took that? Like, did they give them any hesitation? Yes. So we're actually going to talk about the investigation now and how the police handled it. I'm just on a roll today. You are. You're you're one <laughs> step ahead of me this whole time. So the first thing police do is send two investigators out to talk to Rachel's roommate. Mm-hmm. Logically. Yeah. His name was Donald Kalwa, and he was 25 years old, and he was a computer clerk. Okay. He said that he hadn't seen her and that he wasn't home when she moved out. So he really couldn't help them. Yeah. So he said the last time he spoke to her was Wednesday night. And he saw her that evening after work. He was basically like, hey, how was work? She said, oh, we had orientation today. I talked to some students, some parents, Mm -hmm. did some training. And that was really it. And then Thursday after work, that would have been her first day. Mm -hmm. He said the door to her room was closed. So he just didn't bother her. Yeah. Didn't go in there. And so he didn't see her and he went to bed Friday morning. Her door was still closed, but he didn't really think anything of it because, you know, they're not close. They're still new roommates. Yeah. And he went off Friday morning to spend the weekend at his girlfriend's house. Okay. So by Monday morning, when he came home, that's when all of her stuff was already gone. So he was gone the entire weekend. And he couldn't really tell police anything more than that because Rachel had only moved in a few weeks before that. So, like I said, they weren't close yet. They didn't really know each other very well. And Donald had just put this ad in the newspaper over the summer because he had recently gotten out of the military. He was getting his own place. Okay. And he just needed help paying rent. Yeah. And he said Rachel was one of the first people who applied And that he interviewed and she just seemed like laid back and pretty chill. So that's why he picked her. Okay. So after the interview with Donald, police then go door to door to start asking neighbors if anybody saw her moving out. Mm -hmm. Because surely somebody saw a woman packing up all of her belongings by herself. You would think so. Because this would not be a fast thing. Her bed is gone. Yeah. Like a whole bed. You need trucks and you need to help you have to break things yeah, down can't move all that stuff on your own but nobody saw anything really not one person saw anyone moving out that weekend huh so you know the next person they go see is going to be donald's girlfriend her name is carrie smithers and they just want to verify donald's story that he was gone all weekend yeah which 
Carrie does. She tells them basically the same thing that Donald did. She said, Mm -hmm. you know, he came over Friday. He was here all weekend. And police actually do briefly consider Carrie as a suspect. Yeah, I could see why. Because, you know, it's a little strange that your boyfriend gets a roommate that's not you and is another female. Another female, yeah. And, I can you know, see that. Maybe there is some jealousy. Maybe that she wanted her out. She yeah. was the reason she left. But after talking to her a bit, Carrie basically says, you know, no, I don't. I don't mind her at all. They're not friends. They're not close. Yeah. She doesn't feel like a threat to me. I'm I'm totally fine with it. Yeah. And they, they must have believed her because they, they dropped her off the suspect list. Okay. So the next thing that police do is they check Rachel's cell phone records. I was wondering if it was... I couldn't remember when cell phones came out. <laughs> yeah, there were cell phones like the big brick Nokia yeah. and stuff at that point. But they didn't really find anything on Rachel's because this is still the point where like cell phones were for emergencies. Yeah. You had very limited minutes on your cell phone. Yeah. And that was for an emergency. So she didn't really use her cell phone all that much. Okay. So that wasn't a really big shock that her cell phone hadn't been used. Mm-hmm. So they go ahead and check the landline, mm-hmm. which is what her mother had been calling to talk to her. She had her own landline in her room and it had been turned off on Sunday after she disappeared. Huh. But there was no documentation with the phone company to say if Rachel was the one who called and had it turned off mm-hmm. or if someone else had called and had it turned off. You would th- well maybe not. Yeah, I mean you would think that they would have some kind, some of kind of record verification. Like you can't just call and cut off someone's phone line. Yeah. Especially if, if it's a man going, hi, ah, yes, I need to cut off Rachel Reichland's phone, uh, phone line. Right. I mean, it's, mm, I don't know. I never did uh, actually find the answer of why they had no documents on it, but yeah. they just didn't. They couldn't help the police there. Okay. So they do go ahead and check out the people that she had talked to that night. Mm-hmm. And they were mostly just normal phone calls. She called, a couple of friends. She actually did call an ex-boyfriend Okay, that they were a little suspicious of for a little while. Yeah. But overall, he was cleared yeah. and she had just called to tell him, hey, I had my first day at work today. Something kind of strange happened today. I wanted to tell you about it. Huh. So police hunt him down and talk to him. And he basically says... I wasn't home when she called me. She left this message on my voicemail or on my answering machine. And I didn't get a chance to call her back. Yeah. So unfortunately, the police never actually get to find out what strange thing happened at school. They even tried going to the school and talking to the principal Mm -hmm. and saying, hey, is there anything weird that happened on, on Rachel's first day? And the principal was basically like, no, I don't. I don't know anything yeah. that went on. She was here one day and then she just didn't come back. Yeah. Well, and those are new. Those are new colleagues. Right. You probably yeah. wouldn't say that to them. I don't know what happened her first day of school. That oh, was that's so frustrating. Weird. It is frustrating. It's extremely frustrating. <laughs> Ultimately, no one that she talked to on the phone that night really was very helpful and gave any new clues. <sighs> All of these things the police are finding are just kind of leading to dead ends. They're not really going anywhere. And police need some new leads. These aren't helping. Mm -hmm. So at this point, Rachel has been missing for an entire week and they haven't found anything. Yeah. So they run a missing persons ad in the Chicago Tribune, which has a huge audience size. Yeah. 
And this leads to this huge burst of just sightings and tips and oh. and all of these people saying, oh, she's there's one instance where someone called from a bar and the bar owner's like, she's sitting in my bar right now. Oh, wow. Come get her. So the police show up and it turned out to not be her. It was a woman who looked unbelievably similar to her. Oh, man. But it wasn't yeah. Rachel. And they get a bunch of those where people call in and say, she's right here. I see her. And then uh -huh. they get out there. And it was just a case of mistaken identity. Okay. Well, that's normal, too, though. Right. Until finally, they do get a tip that they can use. Huh. A maintenance man from her apartment building had been spotted sorting through household items in the parking lot of Rachel's apartment complex. What? And... It, they had been seen by someone who lived in the apartments across the street. Uh-huh. And this person had saw the guy going through the household items out of the dumpster the day after Rachel disappeared. Really? And they just failed to mention that? I don't think police went and interviewed anyone across the street. They were only oh. interviewing people in her complex. Okay. So this person would have had to come forward on their own. Okay. So they may not have even known Rachel was missing until this That's true. ad that ran. Yeah. So this seems like a super promising lead. This guy yeah. was going through stuff in the dumpster. So they go see this maintenance man. And at first, this looks like, oh, my gosh, we found our guy. Because when they enter his home, his apartment where he's living there, mm -hmm. they find a TV, a phone and a jewelry box all belonging to Rachel. Oh, wow. Which he tells police, you know, I found all this stuff in the dumpster. I just mm -hmm. took it because that's a perk of working here. You find some stuff in the dumpster. You just I mean, keep it. Yeah. He's not wrong. <laughs> and I mean, he he kind of looks good for a suspect. He has keys to her apartment. Yeah. He has access to her. He He has her stuff in his room. Yeah. But ultimately, the police do believe him that he took things from the dumpster. And here's why. Even though he had a master key. And therefore, access to the apartment. Uh-huh. He didn't have anything that belonged to Donald. Okay. So the logic is basically, if he took his key and went to rob the apartment, why didn't he go through everything? Why would he only take stuff from Rachel's yeah. stash? Because Donald wasn't home either. It would have been free reign of the apartment. That's true. Why and would he only take stuff from Rachel? Unless it's a thing. It could have been some kind of weird fetish thing. Yeah. I don't or souvenirs. But I don't think I don't think a TV is really what I think <laughs> of when I think of That was convenient. Yeah. <laughs> I need a TV. Hey. And of course there was the witness that saw him getting that, the stuff out of the that's dumpster. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Somebody actually saw him in the dumpster. So Which brings us to the question of why was her stuff in the dumpster in mm -hmm. the first place? Mm-hmm. And where was the rest of her stuff? And where is her car? Yep. Before we keep going in the story, we wanted to take a quick break and do a little shout out for our newest patron. Yay! Thank you so much to James Harrington. We hope you enjoy all your bonus perks. Yay! And if you're ever interested in getting some of those bonus perks, listeners, now would be a great time to go to our Patreon and sign up. Right. You get so many cool things like mini episodes. Mm -hmm. We have Patreon exclusive episodes. We have blooper reels. <laughs> and there's so many blooper reels. <laughs> 
We do little episode previews uh-huh. and you get early access to podcast news such as giveaways and special episodes. Yep. And you can also help us decide what we're going to talk about next. Right. We have added in one of our tiers. You can vote on our stories that we are going to cover. Mm-hmm. So it's all up to you guys. And best of all, if you sign up for our top tier, you're going to get a True Crimes Weird Times t-shirt. Part of the coven, baby. So check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash true crimes weird times. And now we'll get back to the story. At this point, they found some of her stuff. They're like, okay, we're getting little pieces. Nothing's really helping all that much yet. So one of the detectives decides to call and check parking lots. So they've already called hospitals. They've called, Mm -hmm. you know, jails and morgues trying to find any Jane Doe's anybody that could possibly be Rachel yeah and they've come up with nothing so one detective starts thinking where would someone stash a car that no one would notice it Hmm. and he comes up with the airport oh genius it is genius props to this detective yeah the O'Hare airport is less than 20 miles away from Rachel's apartment So he gives them a call. He tells them what car they're looking for. And in only about 20 minutes, someone gives him a call back and says, oh, yeah, your car's out here. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when police arrive on the scene on September 1st, 1993, the first thing they notice is that the back end of the car is weighed way down. Oh, no. And there is some sort of liquid dripping from the trunk. Oh, no. When they open the trunk, the first thing they find is about 500 pounds of dirt. Really? Dirt. Just dirt. And it's not just like someone dug it up from the ground. It's that kind of dirt, like uh, gardening dirt with a little white pieces in it. Yeah. It's that kind of dirt, like a landscaping So somebody like bought bags of dirt. Something like that. They got the dirt from somewhere like that. Yeah. So they start, you know, carefully going through the dirt until one of them comes across a sock. Mm. And that's when they find the badly decomposed body of Rachel Racklin. She had been wrapped in a bed sheet. Mm-hmm. Her head also had an additional layer that was wrapped in a trash bag. And she had been shot point blank three times in the back of the head. Oh my God. Also in the car, they find... Between the driver's side seat and the door, a men's watch, like a wrist watch. Okay. And it had a long hair trapped in the clasp. So both of these were sent to forensics, mm-hmm. but the hair turned out to belong to Rachel. Oh, okay. And the watch had no usable fingerprints on it whatsoever. Oh, that's strange. And they couldn't tell if it had been like wiped clean yeah. or if there were just no good fingerprints on it. Okay. After the body is found, the case kind of just explodes in the media. Everyone is talking about it. I mean, a body was found at the airport under 500 pounds of dirt. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a big story. Yeah. At this point, with everyone hearing about this story, it's the first thing in the news, top Mm -hmm. headlines. That's when a man named Ray Kravitz notices this story, and he comes to the police station. Oh, This man is a limousine driver, Mm -hmm. and he says that he picked up a man from the O'Hare airport on Friday, August 20th, by the name of John Noble. Okay. And he says it seems strange that this man 
told him that he was in town to visit some friends, but he didn't have any luggage with him. Oh. He then goes on to tell the officers that he dropped this man off in Westmont. Oh. More specifically, he dropped him off less than a mile away from Rachel's apartment. Oh, no. Okay. The passenger then tried to use a discount coupon (laughs) for his ride. Of course. Which isn't super weird. It's not super weird, but like... (laughs) In hindsight, it's just like, really? 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 You're (laughs) going to use a discount coupon right now? But this coupon had only been run in the Westmont papers. Oh! So if this guy was from out of town and Uh just stepped off a plane, where did he get this coupon? How did he know about it? How would he have gotten that out of a newspaper that was only in Westmont if he just landed that night? Yep. So after they talk to this limousine driver, they actually get another tip come in. So police are still working their way through the apartment complex, interviewing neighbors because it's a big complex. They couldn't do it all in one day. And they get to a lady's apartment complex at one point. And, you know, they're asking her about Rachel. And she says, oh, yeah, I actually saw her Thursday night outside arguing with a man. Oh, and she says that he was tall. He was like six feet tall with dark hair Mm -hmm. and that Rachel was arguing with him and he grabbed her arm and she kind of screamed at him to let her go. Oh, now police originally immediately say that sounds like the ex-boyfriend that she left a message with. I mean, yeah. So they go and talk to him. Turns out he has an alibi. They can't place him at the apartment complex. And it just kind of hits a dead end. Which is frustrating because that seems like such a big lead. But it just kind of like a lot of the other leads in this case, it just kind of fizzles out. Yeah. Um, There was another suspect earlier that I didn't mention because it didn't lead anywhere. But there were so many of these where they found an invitation to this like party or get together thing. Uh And they trace it back to this guy. And it turned out he had really only met Rachel like one time. And he was oh. a little mentally disturbed. Oh. So he had only met her once and he had some mental disorders. So he had invited her to this oh, okay. thing saying like they were dating and he was a little bit off. Yeah. But ultimately, police figure out that other than sending her this one invitation, he never really interacted with her all that oh, okay. much. So he was cleared too. There was just so many of these little extra leads that seem promising and get your hopes up. And then they just dead end. Yeah. And that seems really frustrating for the police too, because when they first put it in the paper and everybody's like, I see her, I see her, I see her. And then they get all these little things and they think it adds up and then it's like nothing. Yep. That is until they go back to the apartment. So here's the first and really the biggest frustrating thing police do. Usually when I do stories, it's like the whole time I'm like, why did the police not (laughs) get off their asses and do something? Yeah. But this time I feel like they were doing a pretty good job except for this. Uh Oh, okay. Two days after the body is found, police go back to Rachel's apartment for their first forensic investigation of her room. Oh, no. Two weeks After Rachel was reported missing. Uh Uh-huh. And plenty of time to get rid of anything. Oh, yeah. Plenty of time to clean and extra vacuuming and whatever else you need to do. Yeah. Or just like, you know, looking for clues on what happened to her in the first place. Yeah. 
Like, why would you wait until the body was found? Why would you wait two weeks to investigate her bedroom? That should have been the first thing they did. But nope. It was kind of almost the last thing they did. Wow. They go back to Rachel's apartment for their forensic investigation. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the first thing they do is spray the room with luminol. Right. And it lights up. Oh, wow. The whole room. Well, at least there's that. But... It had been cleaned. I mean, you couldn't see any blood. And really, the luminol was reacting more to the bleach and cleaners. Okay, but still. But that's how you can tell, like, hey, this has been cleaned. Yeah. There was blood here previously. So clearly, something terrible happened in Rachel's bedroom. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they move on to the kitchen. Now, Donald isn't home when they come and carry out the search warrant. Okay. So they move on to the kitchen. And they find... The same kind of trash bag that had been wrapped around Rachel's head. So after the kitchen, they head on into Donald's room. And this is going to blow your mind. Bring it. Here we go. On his bed was Rachel's missing mattress. Shut up. Yep. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, all signs point to Donald. There was also a pair of shoes with dirt packed into the soles that matched the dirt found in the trunk. Ah, come on, Donald. Now, he claims this mattress was his and he had owned it for two years. Yeah. Except that particular mattress was only a month old (sighs) and had only been in production for six months. Wow. And... They interview him. I mean, they bring him in. They're like, look, man, you're sleeping on her mattress. What's up with that? Yeah. And he's like, no, that's mine. That's mine. (laughs) It's my mattress. Dumb, dumb Donald. And wouldn't really give him anything else. Yeah. But here's the thing about Donald. The interview isn't helpful. And he does still have his alibi with his girlfriend. Yeah, but too many things are adding up. So what they do next is they're like, okay, we need to go talk to the girlfriend again. Yeah. Because either she's lying to us or she can help us. Right. So they go get Carrie. They bring her in for an interview and they're like, okay, was he with you this weekend? And she says, yes, he was really at my house all weekend. But she can't vouch for where he was Thursday night uh-huh. when th- Rachel disappeared Friday. Okay. So she could not be his alibi for Thursday night. They then show her. A lineup of wristwatches. And they're like, no, no leading, no nothing. They didn't tell her what they were. They just said, do any of these look familiar to you? Uh She points out the exact watch they found in Rachel's car and says, oh, this is the watch I gave Donald for Christmas last year. Dude. So, yeah, there's no denying it. And then they find their metaphorical smoking gun. Yeah. So the biggest piece of evidence, police find several checks that were written from Rachel's account, basically cleaning out her whole bank account. What? Except the checks were written after (gasps) Rachel was already dead. Oh. And, you know, police go back and they compare signatures. Mm -hmm. And then they find out Donald had used this money to pay rent and to pay utilities and to pay the power bill. He had taken all of her money to pay on this apartment. 
Well, if he'd have just left her alive, she could have continued to pay for that. Well, I'm about to tell you what happened. <laughs> On September 9th, 1993, Donald Caldwell was arrested and charged with first degree murder. Good. And they even went ahead and put him in a lineup uh-huh. for the limousine driver to come oh, look at. Yeah. And he identified Donald as the man he picked up from the airport that night. So in May of 1996, Donald goes to trial and is found guilty of first degree murder and robbery. And he's sentenced to 100 years in prison. Wow. So now this is the part where I tell you what Donald did and how he did it. Yes, please. So Donald was having a lot of money issues. And he couldn't afford that apartment by himself. And Rachel wanted to move out. So Rachel had confided in a friend recently that she was thinking of moving out of her apartment because she just she couldn't feel comfortable living with a male roommate. She said it just made her uncomfortable. She didn't like it. She didn't want to be here. That gut instinct. She just wanted to move out. Well, Donald wasn't going to be able to afford his rent without Rachel there. Mm -hmm. And Donald saw this as the solution to his problems. He could just take her money, I guess. So he temporarily, I know I don't understand. I will never understand the logic, but Thursday night while she was asleep, Mm -hmm. Donald snuck into her bedroom, put the garbage bag over her head, Uh shot her in the head three times while she slept Then he put her body in the trunk of her own car and headed to the airport. He did stop to pack in the dirt somewhere along the way. Yeah. But police were never actually able to find the location that the dirt came from. And I mean, they sifted through this dirt one tiny shovel full at a time for evidence and stuff. And they just never figured out where he stopped and got it. Yeah. Or why, I guess. I don't know why you would... Put a quarter of a ton of dirt in someone's car. Maybe he thought it would stop the smell or the. Well, that's possible. I don't know. I don't know. The next day is when Friday morning is when he got rid of all of her stuff, except for the mattress, which he put on his own (laughs) bed. So stupid. So stupid. And he cleaned the floors and disposed of the gun, which was actually never found. Oh, of course, he's not going to give it up, is he? No, but can you imagine, like, my roommate's going to move out soon. I might as well kill her and take all of her money so I'll be fine and I can keep living here forever. I probably won't get arrested and sent to prison. Like, what? That's still a temporary solution. Charge her for a couple of months and let her leave and find a new roommate. Right. Say, okay, you can move out, but I'm going to need at least one month's rent while I find someone else. That's all he had to do. And I just, I cannot understand the logic. There was no logic. Maybe it was just panic. He panicked. Panicked and then calmly walked in her room after she was asleep and shot her in the head three times. Now that's something completely different. But like, I think the initial panic is what caused this. But I've never wanted to kill somebody. I don't know. Like, he clearly didn't think this through. And he was dumb enough to, one, not get rid of the shoes. Two, sleep on her own mattress. Right? I, I don't know. I'm Dumb. Dumb, dumb Donald. Dumb, dumb Donald. <laughs> but that is the story of Rachel Racklin. 
And it's so sad. She it just is. started a new job. That, she had her whole life ahead of her. She was only 29 years old. That breaks my heart. I'm coming from experience here. You know, she probably, she loved kids. It's probably something she's always wanted to do. And she finally got her job teaching. And really, after one day? One day. And it's just disgusting. It is. I'm so glad they caught Donald. It's oh, it's yeah. it's an, it's a nice refreshment from my usual and no one knows what happened. <laughs> yeah. The end. Thanks for listening. Like us on Facebook at True Crimes and Weird Times Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at True Crimes Weird Times. Email us your stories at True Crimes Weird Times at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Bye.